Grab your Bibles and join me, if you will. We'll look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13, if you can join me there. You need a copy of the Scriptures. We have one there uh, in the back of the pew in front of you. We'll look at John chapter 13, as I said. Here in just a moment, we'll find ourselves looking at that passage. Glad you're here, and uh, appreciate you being here this morning. A simple thought this morning, but I hope an encouraging one, as you and I uh, look forward to missions conference and such there, but just a great reminder. Uh, I know for many here, in many ways, it's been a very difficult week, and uh, for some, it's been a very difficult month, and it's been a difficult year in some ways for many of us, a lot of different things, a lot of changes, things happening. One of the things, and we're well aware that some have faced even this week, and all of us have faced this year, is the, the difficult task of, of facing the fact that someone has departed, someone has left our presence. We're well aware that even today, as we pray for a couple families in our midst, that they have experienced departure this week, and as I said a moment ago, all of us have faced it in in a, uh, uh, this year, in one way or another, where dear ones, cherished ones, have gone on before us. One of the things that often happens when departures get close, maybe when someone has suffered from an illness or sickness, one's family ensures that they know that they are loved. As a pastor, I often have the privilege of being around families, and uh, when uh, one's departure to heaven comes close, and they will often repeatedly um, express their love for that loved one, that cherished one. They express that in words. They do it often, and it doesn't stop with that. Even when that loved one has passed and gone to heaven, they, they do so at a funeral or memorial service They're, where that life is celebrated. You often hear someone speak of their love for the departed one, and, and often in those services when uh, if that person can hear from heaven, they will often tell them how much they love them and uh, always touches our hearts in that. On the other hand, I've heard many a person who, who knows their time of departure is close at hand. They have come to the reality that life is but a vapor, that it is short, and uh, the Bible says, as is appointed unto man wants to die, they've understand that their time of appointment draws near. And from their deathbed, if we might describe it as such, or their sick bed, before that day occurs, they have expressed their love for their family. They have told them multiple times and telling them never to forget it. Sometimes they have encouraged me that when I stand behind this pulpit or I stand in a funeral service or memorial service, make sure you tell my family that's left behind that I love them. I will always love them. And I trust that encouragement and that, that statement of love is just that, an encouragement. Our text this morning is actually very much the same. Jesus Christ and his disciples have enjoyed three and a half years together. To them, it probably seemed like it zoomed by, that it was uh, uh, such a short time. And, and often when we get to the end of a loved one's life, it, uh, though it may have been uh, several decades, and it seems like it has been way too short. You can imagine that the same is true for uh, Jesus Christ and his disciples as they come to this point and as they, uh, they have reached here in John chapter 13. They are at the end of the time. Look at verse number 1, if you will, with me. John chapter 13 and verse number 1 says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, notice this statement. When Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. 
having loved his own which were in the world. And boy, I love this statement. He loved them until the end. He loved them until the end. Christ knew that his hour had come, that it was time for him to be crucified on the cross, that he would be placed in a grave, that he would rise again the third day, and then soon after that he would uh, ascend to heaven. He, he knew his time with these disciples was drawing to a close, and what moved him was his love for them, and that love just as he loves you and me. At that time, God deemed deemed it important enough to have John record the statement we just read. Having loved his own which are in the world, he loved them until the end. Just as he loved those disciples, Jesus Christ loves you today. He loves me today. I would remind you and challenge you that very few truths in the Bible are conveyed with such force, such amazement, such tenderness as the love of our Savior and God. Very few. Remember how Jeremiah was led of God to communicate it? He said this in Jeremiah chapter 31 and 3. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I don't know about you, but I enjoy the fact that my parents love me still. (laughs) Even after all I put them through. In fact, today is my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad, if you're watching. But I put them through a lot. Thankful they love me. I'm thankful for... Erica's everlasting love, though uh, she has to do a lot for me. She was very much a ministry widow (laughs) this week. It's been a very busy week, and uh, I've been busy with the ministry pretty much from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep and uh, uh, so forth. She loves me. She continues to love me. But can I tell you, I sure am thankful there is a God in heaven that loves me with an everlasting love. Aren't you? He made sure to convey that. And I'm thankful for my parents and Erica and my children, all those, and some here who certainly express their love for me, but, and that's appreciated in love. I sure am thankful for my Heavenly Father's love, that everlasting love. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he, he wrote in, of Christ's love for us and how he demonstrated it. He said this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. I like that statement. Hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. We could look at a dozen more passages. You yourself could quote many passages about the love of God, the love of Christ for us. And it, really, the Scriptures leave no question. There's no, there's no uncertainty to this truth. Jesus Christ loves each one of us. Say, Pastor Henry, that's really no newsflash. That's nothing I, I didn't already know. It, 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 we've sung it since the time we were in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And you're right. Probably every single person here has understood on some level that God loves us, that Jesus Christ loves us. But many of us here this morning need to let the truth that God loves each of us move from our head to our heart, and rest there. Stay there. That despite the trials and the troubles and the things that happen to you in life, despite everything that you can I say, uh, uh, even the disciples looked at Jesus Christ, uh, do you not care? Uh, Mary and Martha, when Lazarus passed away, they looked at Jesus Christ and said, don't you care? You could have hastened your journey. You could have been here. Don't you care? Don't you love us? 
It would be easy for you and I, through difficulties in life, through things that seem unfair, through things that, that, that have turned our world upside down, we can look at God and, and question His love when we allow emotions and hurt to get the best of us. I want to assure you this morning that Jesus Christ loves you. That the God in heaven loves you more than you will ever know. And my friend, that, not, that need not only reside in your head, but it needs to reach your heart every day. Jesus loves me. He loves you. Reminding ourselves often, John chapter 15, you know what he said? I want you to abide in my love. The term is tarry there, to sojourn in my love, to, uh, to, to every day and every moment of every day. He wants us to reside in his love, to experience it, enjoy that love that we have. And so this morning, I told you it, it was simplicity of a message. It really is. I just want to take a few moments. I want to reflect on the love of our Savior and our God for each one of us. Because I don't know about you, there are days that I need to hear from my God. I love you. I love you. You're the apple of my eye. And our God in heaven wants to say that to you each and every day. Can we look and describe that love as the way the scriptures bear it out? Number one, I want you to see something that obvious uh, we're well aware but it does us good to be reminded Jesus' love is a universal love. It is a universal love. This week we'll focus on during our missions conference that Jesus Christ loves all people everywhere. And so it is true. He loves people of all ethnicities. He, he loves people in all lands. He, he, he loves people in every age. And certainly if someone were to ask you, to, does Jesus love everybody? We would immediately say, well, John 3.16 says it all, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is no greater verse that demonstrates that truth. In fact, one has rightly made this statement. If all the Bible were destroyed except John 3.16, anyone, anywhere could still be saved by believing what that verse says. I love that truth. What does it all start with? It starts with the universal love of our God. For God so loved the world. Each and every person that's ever inhabited this earth, he loves the world. But let's also remember this truth. Jesus' love for you, it's a personal love. Oh, it's universal in that he loves the world, that he died for the world, and he loves the world, but it is also a personal love. I like what Augustine said in description here. He said this, God loves us, everyone, as though there were but one of us to love. I don't know about you, but uh, as a father, boy, it, it, it's hard, and it's a, it's a constant struggle and desire of mine to love every my, one of my, my children equally and to, to treat them like they're the only one, though there's seven of them. Boy, that's hard to treat them as such. And in that way, to treat them as, you know, I sure am thankful there's a God in heaven that can do that. He loves each and every one of us as if, as if we are the only one he loves, and though he loves each and every one of us to that degree. 
Jesus said unto his disciples something that extends to all of us. He says this, and it's a great reminder, for the Father himself loveth you. How neat that would have been to hear from Christ's own lips as he said it to his disciples in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 20, Paul said and spoke of Jesus Christ as the Son of God who loved me, who loved me, a personal love. This love for you and I was displayed in Christ coming into the world for us. Would you be reminded this morning that if you were the only sinner in all the universe, God in heaven loves you so much that he would still send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. Christ loved you so much that as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, in that love uh, for him and you, he gave himself for you. And he would do it all over again if you were the only one. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 simply says, and God commendeth his love toward us. See, it's a personal love. As you look around this auditorium, there may be family members, there may be uh, friends and such that care about you. They love you, there's no doubt of that, and I would not bring that into question, but I'll tell you something about God's personal love for you. He, like no one else, knows your deepest hurts. He, like no one else, knows your deepest disappointments. He, like no one else, knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. He knows your greatest needs. And he is keenly aware of all you feel and all you do and all you think. That is the greatest personal love you could ever be the object of. No one else, listen to me, no one else loves you like that. No one does. God alone loves you in such a way. The songwriter grasped it. He understood it, and he stood in awe of that simple truth. You remember what he wrote? He said this, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Do you remember his exclamation after that? Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He loves me this way, that he knows me, that he loves me in such a way. Our God and Savior's love is universal. It is personal. But it is also a powerful love. It's a powerful love. You know, we will often measure uh, uh, the depth or degree or power of another's love for us by what they will do for us. In fact, I uh, forgive me, but even this week, as we had a part in two different memorial services and funerals, it was it was neat to hear grandchildren stand up and exclaim, "Yeah, I, I grandfather, grandmother did this for me, and and I knew they loved me when they did this and this. They just sacrificially did this. They gave this and they did this." We will often measure the power, the degree, the depth of someone's love for us by what they do for us. The links they'll go to. So how powerful is Christ's love for us? Well, number one, can I just tell you, his powerful love seeks sinners. Seeks sinners. He is not apathetic. He is not uncaring. He is not unmerciful. In fact, he is all the opposite of those things. 
Jesus Christ himself, speaking of himself, he said this in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Those who are lost and going to die and head to a sinner's hell, Jesus Christ has come to seek them. I sure am thankful that sometimes even when we're not seeking Jesus Christ, he seeks us. That's powerful love, friend. Sometimes when you and I have rejected him, when we have turned our backs on God, Jesus Christ is seeking us. His is a powerful love. And it is with that love that he loves you. There are times when you and I as believers, we become apathetic in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We fail to enter into our prayer closet. We fail to read His Word as we should. We fail to build a relationship with Him that, like we ought to. I sure am thankful that Jesus Christ seeks us out. His powerful love seeks sinners. I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 here in the New Testament. I'll have you see and hear and Read what Paul wrote to the church, the believers, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 9. We'll read verse 9 and 10. It's a great statement that he closes out this letter with, these two verses. He would write this, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, how? Well, by our Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved through Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 10, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. It's a great statement. See, number two, God's love is so powerful. This powerful love seeks sinners, but this powerful love also saves the lost. He did in love what no one else could ever do for you and me. He died for us, and when we were lost and on our way to hell, he, he saved us. In fact, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 says he, he saved us from a deserved destiny by making himself a ransom for many. Ransom. He redeemed us. He, he, he bought us back. He saved us. First verse says that we obtain salvation through him. And I like uh, what the hymn writer William Noel captured that truth, how he wrote it. He said this, and we sing it often. He says this, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. And what a great statement, right? That gulf, the Bible says that uh, you and I, we've fallen short of the glory of God. There's a great gulf between us and heaven and God because of our sin. For all have sinned and we've come short of that glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. I deserve to, to go to hell. So I am completely separated from where Christ is, where God is in heaven and his holiness and such. And it is only by the grace of God that that gulf is spanned by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that you and I can gain heaven, and more importantly than heaven, we gain a relationship with the God of heaven, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, by which you and I are allowed entrance into heaven. He spanned the gulf, and I love how the hymn writer says here, you, you know what started that whole plan? <laughs> you know what moved the hand of God to put this plan into place and to, to make it viable for you and I? It was his powerful love for us. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. 
His powerful love seeks sinners. His powerful love saves the lost. But I would also encourage you that as He loves you with that powerful love, he, His powerful love secures His saints. Secures them. You see what Paul wrote here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? He died for us. Why? So that we should live together with Him. And it carries the idea of living with Him forever. Christ himself said it in John chapter 14, didn't he? He said this, that where I am, ye may be also. That you'd be with me, that you'd be secure in my presence. And again, the idea that we will be with him forever. And right before Paul closed this letter to 1 Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica in chapter 5, here's what he wrote in chapter 4. As he's giving them encouragement about the things that are coming, he, he spoke of Christ coming back and he said this, And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can I just ask you, how long will we be with the Lord? Forever. That's the power of God's love. Doesn't love you just okay. You know what? I'll 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 save you for a little while. I'll, I'll I'll take care of you for no no no. The powerful love of God says you and I will be with Him forever so we will be ever with the lord secure with him and man when we talk about the the reality of the security that we have in god's love and the power that it is and brings to us and let's demonstrate in our lives how can we not read romans chapter 8 so we turn with me to romans chapter 8 romans chapter 8 look what paul wrote read here or wrote here excuse me romans chapter 8 in describing um this powerful love of god he He says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Again, what's the question? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And my friend, to that I say amen and amen. We are secure. His love is so powerful that we are secure in Him. There's nothing that will separate us from either His love or His presence once we are His. It's a powerful love. And it is that love with which He loves each and every one of us. It is a universal love. It is a personal love. It is a powerful love. But it is, and we we can't get away, when we talk about God's love, We can't get away without mentioning this truth. It is also a demanding love. A demanding love. We can't ignore the truth about this aspect of the love of God. Paul would write what? The love of Christ constraineth us. And I I love that terminology. The love of Christ constraineth us. It literally means to hold us fast. It, It means to press upon us. In fact, the term is used in the description of a besieged city. We think of a, uh, an army that has come and laid a besiege on a city and they're, they're trying to uh, attack it and conquer it. It's that idea. We are literally in the constraints of God's love. 
It holds sway over me. What does that love for me ask of me? We know it well. Number one, it demands my love in return. So as this morning, as we reflect in all that Christ's love is for us and in, in all that it represents and all that it gives to us, the reality is it is a demanding love and that it asks simply for our love in return. In fact, Jesus Christ was, was asked in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, what, what's the first, what's the greatest commandment? In other words, priority. What, what takes priority number one in our lives if, if we understand God loves us? It's this. This is what Christ said. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. It's easy to say, I love you. But then he says this, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Boy, that just raised the bar several notches. There, there are things that I love, but I'll tell you, I don't love it with all my heart, and with all my soul, and all my mind, all my might. There are probably people I love that I don't love with all my soul, and all my heart, and all my mind, and all my might. So this, this raises the bar that as I come to understand the full extent of the God of heaven and His love for me, how, how personal it is, how powerful it is, it moves me and demands of me that I in turn love Him with all my heart. All my soul, all my might, and all my mind. Not only loves my lo- it demands my love in return, but it also demands my obedience in return. We looked and referenced John chapter 14. In that same passage of John chapter 14, uh, it says this. As he speaks about taking us to heaven and what he's prepared for us and so forth later on. And it simply says this. Jesus answered and said to him, if a man love me, he will keep my word. I like that simple statement. He'll keep my words. He'll, he'll, he'll do as I ask. He'll obey my words. In fact, I put it this way before, and I'll say it again. His words, my way. They determine my path. They determine my direction. It's his words that tell me where to go. Some of you understand in the physical world what that is. You ever been going to a, a place, and you're traveling to a place, and you said, oh, I need to plug that into the GPS. And the GPS says, turn left in 300 feet. Or whatever voice you choose. I prefer a British voice. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Okay, turn left in 300 feet. And we follow that, right? Okay, his words, whatever that GPS says or, or shows, boy, I'm turning that way. Can I just tell you right now, there's no greater GPS than God and his word. His words, my way. He says, turn left, I turn left. He says, turn right, I turn right. Whatever God says, I'm going to do because here's what I know. My God loves me. My God loves me. And even the humans in this world who love me, you know what they do? Man, they... They give me the best they can. Though they are limited, they'll give me the best. The parents, certainly Erica and the family, they they will do their best for me to the best of their ability, to the best of what they can do. Can I just tell you right now, my God is unlimited. He is omnipotent. There is no limit to what he can do. And I sure am glad that he loves me. Because there's no limit to what he can do for me. I want to obey him. I want to love him in return. 
his words my way. And then number three, you know what else it demands? It demands my service in return. Paul's a great example for us in this. Throughout the New Testament, he would often address himself within his letters to the churches and the believers, and he would often refer to himself as a doulos. In our uh, Bible, it's translated as servant, but it's a a broader meaning of slave, a a slave servant. Uh, It's the reality that that Paul said, listen, I, I am the slave, I am the servant of Jesus Christ. And he did it time and time again, and he gladly did it. It it was like a title of Paul. Oh, no, no, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a church planner, I'm not a pastor. Man, I'm a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. He said it because what? He, man, this is the greatest thing you could be. He loves me so much and I love him so much. And it is a privilege. It is a privilege to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Love demands such service in return. When Jesus Christ came to Peter to restore him there on the shore of that sea, he, he said to him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, what? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Serve me. Do you love me more than these? I love that statement because it is a, it is a call to Peter to serve him before and above everything else. Paul likewise captured that truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know what he says there? He says that one of the big intended results of salvation, one of the consequences, the the benefits of salvation that God wants to be seen in our lives is simply this, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him, serving him, living for him who died for them and rose again. See, Pastor Henry is... Is Christ's love for us truly a demanding love? Oh, it certainly is. But when you fully grasp what Christ's love for you is really like, what it asks is easy to give. Did you hear me, Christian? Is Jesus Christ's love a demanding love? Yeah, it is. It demands our love and response. It it demands our obedience to his words and response. Yes, it demands our service to him in response. Yeah, it is. But when you and I fully grasp the love of God, can I tell you, it is easy to give everything he asks. It's easy. As Paul would say, I would gladly be a servant, a slave. For the one who loves me so. It's easy to give. His is a universal love. It is a personal love. It is a powerful love. It is a demanding love. But it would do us well to end with this simple thought. Jesus' love is a triumphant love. It's a triumphant love. You remember what we read just a moment ago in Romans chapter 8? This is what it said. We read it quickly, but here's what it said. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Through him that loved us. I don't know about you, but I sure do love winning. I love being a conqueror. I love that with my younger boys, at least, when they come and attack me, I can sit on top of them and celebrate as the conqueror. I do. I enjoy that. I like being. I like winning. I, when I play Ryan and Uno, I like beating him. I, I do. I enjoy it. 
I like being a conqueror. I like winning. May I just tell you right now, you know what Christ's love for you has made you? A winner. A conqueror. And I love what that passage describes. We are more than conquerors. Do you remember everything that he listed in the passage? We are triumphant. Don't miss it. We are triumphant over tribulation. We are triumphant over distress. We are triumphant over persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, and even death through him that loves us. You are a conqueror, a winner, not because there's anything in us, but because of Jesus Christ. You're a conqueror. And that is not possible outside of this. Jesus Christ loves me. Jesus loves me. It is a triumphant love. In the Song of Solomon, it gives us a beautiful description of what triumphant love does for us. I like this. It says this, He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. I mean, I like that. Okay, um, <laughs> being a coach for many years, we'll uh, go into a, a, a big game, a tournament game, much like we have this week or whatever, and, and my players will often say, hey, if we win this, if we win this, will you take us out for a steak dinner? If we win this, will you do this? And I, I know as a matter of fact, we had some junior high girls go and play in a volleyball tournament, and someone promised them a pizza party if they won. Guess what? They won. So Curtis Terry has to pay up. They, they love that, right? Take, take me to a feast. I remember I was coaching a basketball team, and we won a tournament, and I had promised them Golden Corral. So we went to Golden Corral. Promised them a feast. You know what that's saying right there in that passage? Same thing. He has led me into a feast of celebration, a conqueror's feast, a banqueting table. And you know why? His banner over me is love. Love. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I, I don't deserve to be a conqueror. I don't deserve to be a winner. I don't deserve to be triumphant in this life other than Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. You see, Paul, as we've come face to face undesiredly this week with death, this year with death, Paul would say, listen, we are more than conquerors, even over death. And I love what he wrote in, wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory in Jesus Christ. He put it this way, the verses, 1 Corinthians 15 and 54, the latter part in verse 57. Death is swallowed up in victory, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. At one of the funerals this week, we, we sang as a congregation, victory in Jesus. Can I tell you, there are hundreds, if not thousands of funerals that are happening around the world today, and they cannot sing victory in Jesus because they do not know him. My friend, when you and I know Jesus Christ and we understand his love for us, we can sing victory in Jesus. That's his love, his powerful, personal Love for you and I. May I just remind you this morning, the one thing that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl needs to know is simply this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. In all that that love means. And it would do every believer well. Each one of us here today 
we might think, well, this is just like for first graders. This is just like for kindergartners. Uh, uh, Sing a song as such, to, to, just to think upon God's love for us. But I would do us well to dwell upon, meditate on. And I'll just tell you right now, tomorrow you need to rest in the love of your Savior. And all that it is. It is universal. It is personal. It is powerful. It is demanding. It is triumphant. I don't know what your day holds tomorrow. I don't know what your week holds. But here's what I do know. You can wake up and you can simply say this. Jesus loves me. This I know. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We stand in awe. We are astounded that the God of heaven would love us. Sinners, unclean, condemned. Failures often before you. And yet you love us. My Father, we are grateful. We stand amazed the love of our Savior, the love of our God for us. My Father, there's some here this morning, no doubt. I honestly and truly believe in preparation for today that, Father, there are some here who just simply need to hear that you love them. That you have not turned your back on them. That they can be conquerors in everything life throws at them. Father, some need to be reminded of how powerful your love is. And my Father, there are some here who need to be reminded that you personally love them. Oh, you love the church. You love your bride. But my Father, your love for each one of us individually is, this, is as if we are the only one. This morning, I pray that we would just revel in that love. That each and every day of our lives, we'd be reminded that Jesus loves me. This I know. And my Father, as we have opportunity to share with others of the God in heaven that loves the world would you help us to do so this missions conference father i pray there'd be some who surrender surrender to take the good news that god so loved the world that he gave to this world to people who've never heard father some today need to share with someone else and encourage and exhort them that god loves them and father simply today some of us need to make sure that we are fulfilling all the demands that your love for us puts upon us. Help us, Father, to love you in return as we ought. Help us to serve you. Help us to fulfill that song we sang a moment ago, take my life and let it be. And Father, I pray that you'd help some of us to obey you as we ought. May your word be our way. My Father, I'm grateful, so very grateful that yours is an everlasting love. Help us now in this invitation to maybe simply just cry out to you and express our love for you. Maybe this invitation is all about us thanking you for our love. Maybe it's a a need for confession, a failure to love you in return as we ought. My Father, my Spirit, would you just work in, in this service as only you can in each and every heart. 